Well, Graham and Kelsey pretty much just saying everything I had to say. Let's stand for the benediction. No, I'm... <laughs> hey. Who clapped? Must be one of those folks visiting from another church this morning. I know. Kelsey, Graham, Craig, praise team, choir, thank you. I love it uh, when there's, whether it's literally storming or whether there's a storm in life, we can throw our heads back in, just sing and praise and worship our amazing God. Amen? I, um, I wore my Bronco colors this morning. I, I listened as um, I do regularly uh, to my sermons after I give them. It's, um, uh, for me at least, it's very painful. I hope it's not always painful for you to hear me preach, <laughs> but I do it as sort of a self-critique and because uh, I always want to try and be a, a, a better teacher. And as I listened through that whole first part where I was teasing you endlessly about the upcoming game, I felt bad. So I took, <laughs> wear my Bronco tie and just show a little bit of support at least with you all. So today they'll get back on the track uh, against uh, Washington, right? And then a big one next week against San Diego, which ought to decide the division, yes? So um, anyway, hey, you know, the Broncos hung in there for the first half last week, and then it got a little ugly. Um, I thought (laughs) some Steeler fans among us, part of the Lanting family, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, You know, you really do pass on your passions to your kids. Um, whether you want to or not. Um, what was the final score? Was it 28 to 10? I, I, I toyed with the idea of um, putting a sermon together that strung together every chapter 28, verse 10 in the Bible <laughs> and just preach it and see if you'd notice. But, man, I went to God hard on that one. Please call me to do that. Well, he said no. So I'm not doing that this morning. <laughs> Praise God. Open your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I'll have the short version, at least, of Shema that we'll recite together in a minute on the screen. Um, I did something this morning that I hadn't done in three years of preaching when I was trying to save my PowerPoint presentation that goes along with my sermon. I deleted it. Yeah, thank you. Four of you are sympathetic with that. (laughs) So we'll have to fly um, solo, I guess, without those visual aids. I'm very sorry about that. I don't know. um, You know, it's my own confusion um, and failure. But uh, as we Christians who believe in God's sovereignty like to do, we excuse our own confusion and say, well, God must have had a reason, right, why there wasn't supposed to be PowerPoint this morning. I don't know, maybe he didn't want you looking at a screen. We'll see, but uh, my apologies for that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is where we find Jesus, we find what Jesus quoted as the greatest commandment, what many today call the Shema. Shema is simply the Hebrew word for hear, H-E-A-R, hear. And it's the first word of this passage in Hebrew and in English, hence the name. Although the English word here doesn't quite do justice to the Hebrew word Shema. 
A better English translation of the word Shema would be something like, listen up. Because the word Shema carries with it in Hebrew the idea that we must act on what we're about to hear in these verses. It's not just hear, O Israel, O people of God. It's hear and do in that word Shema. And hear and do, oddly enough, the point of many of Jesus' parables, by the way. And so Jesus prefaces his greatest commandment with, listen up. The Shema is really the listen up, the hear and do this, O Israel, O people of God. And so we've been studying Shema for the past two months already. My how time flies when we're having fun. We've been studying, in studying Shema, we've been studying what we need to hear and act on as followers of God. And within that greater company of all believers everywhere, your leaders here at West Bowles are inviting all of us to embrace the two greatest commandments, in short, love God and love others, inviting us all to accept that, embed that, um, embrace, love God, love others as what marks us as a community of believers here at West Bowles. So, let's stand together, if you would please. We'll recite Shema this morning. We'll do it as a way um, to dedicate ourselves to God as we dive into His amazing Word once again. We'll do the Hebrew responsively and then the English together, adding as we do that second greatest commandment from Leviticus 19, love others. So please say these words in Hebrew after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloeka. Bechol levavka. Uvechol nafshecha. Uvachol meodeka. Ve'ahavta reacha kamocha. Amen. Together in English, please. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You may take a seat. Boy, your Hebrew is getting better. Seriously, it sounds great. Keep working on it. I'm working on with John Burns of finding something on our website where you can click And uh, I'll find someone, maybe it'll be me since I'm doing it up front, um, that will give you the pronunciation of those words. You can just uh, click on it. I've had many of you ask, and maybe that will help you memorize it in Hebrew if that's um, what God has you doing. Now, this morning, oh, we need to be quiet because um, I've arranged this morning as a way to introduce our message to eavesdrop on a certain marriage counseling session that's taking place. So let's go ahead and let's listen in. And uh, don't make too much noise. We don't want them to know we're here. Let's listen. Remember, your homework last week, right, I gave you? Um, Brainstorm. 
brainstorm different uh, ideas and, and, and areas in your lives where you just mm, you just feel like you give it your all you know and then we're gonna turn it around and <laughs> give some ideas in which your spouse in which you feel your spouse is giving it a mom okay so Nathan let's start with you all right well I gave this a lot of thought this last week mm. and I came up with two areas that I really think I am giving my all in okay so the first is I'm really giving my all in whenever something breaks around the house, <coughs> I'm fixing it. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, honey. Are you okay? Yeah. Sorry. I just had something in my throat there. I was about to sneeze. Oh! All right. So sneezes just <laughs> come at the most random times, don't they? I know. I know it's true. <laughs> all right. And then the second area I was thinking is I'm really learning and I'm getting better at just listening to and sympathizing with Kara and her needs. <laughs> oh. Where did you oh. get this guy from? Where? Oh. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm sorry, ladies. Um, I'm just pouring out my heart here, and you two are just sitting here and laughing. So, we're just joshing with you. Stop! Yeah. Sorry, Nathan. I was just thinking about what you just said, and the last time you fixed anything around the house, it was a spreadsheet for your fantasy football team. <laughs> Honey, you did not need to pull my fantasy team into this, okay? Those guys need me, all right? I mean, when they line up for a play, you want to know what's probably going through every NFL player's head? He's probably thinking, this, this play is for everybody that has me on their fantasy team. And so if they're thinking that, then I owe them an accurate spreadsheet. And you know what? That's not even the point. The point is, when something breaks around the house, whether it's a spreadsheet or anything else... I give my all to fixing it. Nathan, I'm pretty sure that they can do their job without you. And, you know, back to the first thing you said, he said he listens and sympathizes with me and my needs. <laughs> well, that's what, she, that's what I came up with. She asked what I give my all to, and what's wrong with that? Well, Nathan, the last time I tried to tell you about my day, you totally fell asleep. <gasps> oh. I know. No, not good, Nathan. Not good at all. Kara, that story was just so dramatic, and it was like a fairy tale. I thought, I thought it was a bedtime story for Lainey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tensions are they're just too high right now. Okay, they're too high. Let's simmer. Simmer down. Okay? Let's just uh, let's get our skivvies out of a lot, to tell you the truth. Okay? Now, Kara, honey, how do you feel? Can you just share with us ways in which you... Feel like you're giving your okay, so I really, first of all, I really feel like I do my best to make our home feel warm and inviting from the decorations to the scent in the air. And I just feel like it's just the general ambiance. You know what I mean, Doc? Of course I do ambiance. When I walk into a home that smells like pumpkin spice in the air, oh, it just screams ambiance. So, yeah, I do. Totally. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> all right. Ladies, I'm just going to cut in here. Honey, that thing you call ambiance, that's called ordering junk online. Oh. Mm -mm. It's her chance to talk now. Let her talk. That is not junk. That makes our home what it is. It's called art. And it enhances our daughter's artistic ability. Oh, it's art, all right. Mm -mm. Mm. Settle down. What's that supposed to mean? Kara, it means that with these kind of things, I take my time before I decide. I'm... I'm a perfectionist, and you, you aren't. We just kind of rush into things. Let's just, can we sit up? 
Yeah, yeah, you know what? And that really explains you and me, you marrying me and me marrying you. You married perfection, and I just sort of rushed into this. <laughs> and besides, you said in your vows that you would do whatever it took, you would give your all to do what's important to me. Ooh. Uh-huh. <laughs> she got you there, Nathan. Honey, she did. That is some fine print if I've ever heard any. Well, and you know, secondly, I feel like I do a darn good job of putting a beautiful meal on the table every oh. night for my family. Kara, preparing meatloaf 37 different ways doesn't qualify as giving your all. Okay, time out. Let's take a T.O. Okay. <laughs> Nathan, I mean, you promised her to give you your all. Okay, and she's just, she's just not feeling it. Okay. Well, what about her? I mean, isn't she supposed to do that for me, too? Me? Me, me, me? Oh, that's all I'm hearing, Nathan. It's all about you. Nathan, what about me? Me, me, woo, Me, me. It's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Me, me, me. All right, this is getting bizarre. So, honey, I'll be in the car. We'll see you there. See ya. Well. <laughs> I mean, how do you think that went? Oh, that was perfect. See you next week, doctor. Right. Sounds real good, Dan. Goodbye now. Bye. Your Bibles are open to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I've been waiting for a while for us to jump into the text of Shema itself, and uh, that morning has finally arrived. Are you ready to jump into the text? One of the things that immediately jumps out of this scripture, and by the time we're through this morning, perhaps you'll agree with me, it's really the thing that jumps out. And that thing is God's loving, persistent, passionate insistence that we give to God each and every part of us. God wants all of us. You've noticed perhaps in verse 5 the repeated use of the word all. You shall love the Lord your God with all all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God could have just as easily said the same thing this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. That communicates exactly the same message, but God uses all those alls. It highlights his point and, and also reveals a bit, I think, of God's passion for us, even behind words on the page. Listen up, God says. Please hear this and act on it. I want all, all, all of you. Three times he stresses all. And that emphasis of repetition that authors use is captured just fine in English, but even more so given the significance of the number three culturally in the Bible. That number three itself carries with it the idea of wholeness or complete perhaps foundationally in the very being of God as Trinitarian three in one. Three persons make up the whole one complete God. It was also customary that a person was not considered legally dead until he was dead for three days, just to be sure he hadn't passed out or something. 
And so it's no coincidence that the prophets and gospel writers make sure to tell us that Jesus was dead for three days. Not two, not four, not, don't mention it at all, but three days, they insist. Why? That three days communicated he was officially, legally, undeniably, truly dead. In those three days, perhaps even declaring the wholeness or sufficiency that his death accomplished in salvation once and for all, for all who believed. There are many other threes in the Bible that carry this similar depth or weight of meaning. Creation, it's been noted, is organized into two sets of three days. God created it all, and it was all good. The plague of darkness in Egypt lasts three days. Saul loses his father's donkeys for three days. Those animals were thoroughly lost. Jonah is inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The Apostle Paul was blind for guess how many days? Three days. And we haven't even gotten or begun to get to the multiples of three that appear in the Bible. The number three by itself communicates a fullness or wholeness or completely. And so following the three alls in Shema are, go figure, three words, heart, soul, and might. Three words that capture each and every part of us. Now it's a fascinating word study to look at each of these three Hebrew words as they're used throughout Scripture. We don't have the time this morning to do a full word study, but what you will find if you do that on your own is that biblically, biblically the word heart emphasizes not only our emotions, it does biblically, But even more so in the Bible, in the culture of its day, the emphasis of lavav, or heart, is what we use to make decisions. Some of you, I'm sure, have noticed that in the Gospels, when Jesus quotes Shema, the Gospel writers add the word mind, which we don't find in Deuteronomy 6. Have you noticed? But actually, mind is is there in Deuteronomy 6. It's in that word heart, lavav, because as I've said, that word points to our decision makers, how we decide what it is we're going to do. You know, in our day, we would naturally describe that as mind more than heart in terms of what we make decisions with. Biblically, you make a decision with your heart. And so the gospel writers aren't adding anything to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, That isn't already there. They're merely clarifying to a predominantly Hellenistic or Greek culture who don't understand the concept of Lvov, perhaps, and who are particularly fascinated with Lagos in mind, that mind is indeed there in God's command to love it. They're clarifying that Lvov captures it, in my opinion, in the Gospels. It's why they add mind. We sang about it this morning, this meaning of mind at least. Did you catch it? I asked Jill for a pen so I could scribble in the margin um, to tell you about it, to remind you of it. We sang, but this I know with all my heart. There's that knowing or thinking portion of our heart. The Psalms in particular are always careful to tell us to guard our heart, guard that decision maker. So heart has that emphasis of what we use to decide, as well as our emotions. Soul is our will or desire to live. 
Many Christians know that Jesus saves our souls. You'd probably all get that right on a true or false test or even a fill-in-the-blank. What does Jesus save? Jesus saves our souls, and you'd get an A. In my unofficial survey, at least, of high school students at least, but I'll bet it holds true for adults too, very few people understand what exactly he's saving. What is soul? Almost everyone I talk to equates soul to the word spirit, concluding that soul is somehow our spiritual side and body is our material or physical side. But that definition falls way short, well short of what Jesus saves. He doesn't only save our spiritual side as if that side indeed is somehow distinct and separable from the rest of us. It really isn't. Jesus saves all of every part of us. The physical part too. The Bible makes it clear that we'll all be resurrected physically and live forever. So when Jesus saves our souls, perhaps a better grasp or handle on that is that Jesus saves and preserves forever for all time our will and desire to live. Jesus saves our souls, saves our fight to want to live, and he saves that forever. Might or strength is the third word used to describe who we are. Maybe you've noticed in the translation we recite that I prefer the word might to strength. And that's because strength seems to me more narrowly limited to physical power, strength. The Hebrew includes that, but again, it's bigger. The Hebrew word is meod, which is more than physical strength. Our meod includes anything we are or have that is influential. That's our strength, our might. So it includes our money, which is influential. It includes any gift or talent or stuff that God gives us. It includes our time and effort. I like to think of a king's might in this context. When you think of what makes a king mighty, includes his armies, for example. They can exert influence. His authority, his position of influence, his charisma, his politics, everything that goes with being king, and so too with us, anything we have or are that is influential is our might. Now, to take this emphasis of all in this passage even further, if you deepen your word study of the Hebrew words for heart, soul, and might, you will also find examples in the Bible where each of those words alone is used to describe the other two. Huge overlap. For example, the Bible often tells us not to lose heart. That heart is about our will or desire. It's like soul. Heart is used to describe soul and might as well as heart. And you'll find that soul, nephesh, is used to describe heart and might as well as soul. And might in the Bible, you'll find, is used to describe heart and soul as well as might. Each word Heart, soul, and might, while they may emphasize or lean toward a part of us, they also can stand alone, any one of them, to describe all of us. And so what we have packed into verse 5, right after God says, listen up, 
The first thing that pours out of him is something like, love the Lord your God with all your all, all your all, all your all. Six alls, really. By the way, six is the number of mankind, the whole human being and even human race. Two sets of threes. Two sets of three alls, totally. Love the Lord your God with all your all, all your all, all your all. You feel God's emphatic passion for all of us. And God's still not done with his all emphasis. He continues in the next verse. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. You need to love with your all. And then the very next thing that comes to God's mind is our kids. Easily the number one area of our influence as families and parents and even as a community where there are children. First thing in terms of exercise of heart, soul, might, influence, once you've got that, first thing that comes to God's mind is impress these things on your children, God says. And that Hebrew word for impress is a very intense word. It's used to describe as well what a dentist does when he drills into your teeth. Drill this into your kids. Make sure they get it. Impress my love commandment in all of every part of them too. And God's still not done with the all emphasis. Wow, God, I wonder what your point is here. God continues, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Oh, do you mean like all the time? Every morning when we wake up, God wants us talking about his commands. Every night when we go to bed, God wants us spending time in his word. He wants us talking about his commands when we're home and when we're in the world. That phrase, when you walk along the road, is an idiom for as you live your life, as you walk along the way. Jesus certainly, in my mind, has that in mind when Jesus says he is the way right here in Shema. God wants us talking about his commands all the time, every waking moment. And he's still not done with the all parade. Tie my commands to your hands and foreheads, he says next. Our hands symbolic of all we do at work or at play. Our foreheads a symbol of our identity, of who we are. We are the commands, the love, the guide of God in action. His living word. We do them and live them. We are them. All, 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 all screams from this text. And he's still not done. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. you got to be kidding me. Why? So when we come into our houses, we're reminded to live God's commands. Each and every time we walk through that door, we're reminded when we see God's commands written on the doorpost. When I go in there, I'm going to do Shema with my home and in our families. In everything I do there, it's going to be about loving God. And when we leave our houses and come into the city gates or places of work or places where it symbolizes there's public, the world, we're reminded to live God's commands there too. Every single time. All God's commands, of course, being summarized by Jesus as love God, love others. And in the context here this morning of love God, God really wants to clarify up front with His people, with us, That he needs us all, 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 all of each and every part of us all the time. 
God actually continues in this chapter giving examples of all. But we've reached the end of what is traditionally summarized as the listen up, the Shema. My friends, the whole Bible, frankly, is really the story of how all of life is intended to be one big all-fest in keeping God's commands, summarized as love God and love others. It's who we are and what we're doing here. All are all, all are all, all are all. Our kids, when we get up, when we go to bed, everything in between along the way, at home, at work, at play, it's who we are and what we're doing here. People tell me, and I feel this sometimes too, they say things like, and I feel things like, you know, I just wish God would tell me what his will is for my life. If he would just tell me that, I would do it. I've been seeking God's will for some time now. Why won't he reveal it to me? And we'll spend years wondering what God's will is for our lives. You ever been there? Well, if you have, or even are, I have wonderful news for you this morning. Your search is over. It's right here. If you're wondering what God's will is for your life, His will is that whatever you do, whoever you are, wherever you are, however you do it, give it all to God. Frankly, as far as specifics are concerned, okay, we'll spend some time there. But they pale in significance. Who cares? Pick something. Pick something you're good at. Pick something where He's gifted you. Pick something you enjoy if you can. But it really doesn't matter, does it? What really matters is this. Whatever life presents you, whatever your path brings you, whatever God takes you in any and every area of your life, do it all for Him. Each moment, every decision, every action, all your all, all your all, all your all to loving God. That's our purpose-driven life. Love God in everything, in every way. That's what's supposed to consume us, drive us always. That's our best life now. And always love God with all your all, all your all, all your all, all your all. That's his will for your life. Period. Do we understand that he wants us all? (laughs) And why? Because he's greedy? Well, the Bible says he's jealous for us. He gets jealous easily when we give even a drop of ourselves to other gods or other loves or other purposes. He's jealous because he loves us so passionately, so deeply, so completely. He just wants all of every part of us so badly it hurts. He loves us that much. And in this passage, yes, even in Torah, I picture God weeping out of his love and passion for his people as he pleads with them. Please, do you understand how much I love you? Please, I want you all. I love you that much. Sometimes I think, We think, I know I do, we're giving our all, but we're really not. We think we're giving our all, but 
maybe even subconsciously, we're hedging the bet, playing it safe, keeping something for me or for other gods. Well, all other gods, in my opinion, are, are, are ultimately me. We, but we think we're giving our all, but we're really not. Because God describes his relationship to us as a marriage, I think the skit that we saw earlier hits that. Each of them thought they were giving their all to the other. But it soon became clear that eh, maybe really not, that they had more to give. Does that look like our lives, our relationship to God sometimes? Let me ask you something. Honestly, you don't have to answer out loud. But answer this question to yourself, honestly. Is there one more thing you could do to love God that you're not already doing? If so, you haven't given it all. God wants all our all. He loves us that much. Now, some mistakenly react to this, and I just felt it right now as I was talking to you, that God is demanding or unreasonably expecting perfection from us. Okay, I get he wants me all, but I just can't. I'm broken. I struggle. I'm not good enough to give it all. And this all thing becomes some sort of beat-down guilt burden if we take that path. But please hear me, that path is a lie. God does not expect perfection from us. He knows we wrestle with sin. He knows. He's got it covered. He's gracious and compassionate. There was one and only one, and there won't be another one, one and only one perfect human being ever and his name is Jesus. As followers of Jesus, who did the perfection thing on our behalf perfectly, as followers of that perfect one, the Christian life is not characterized by perfection. If you're visiting today wondering if this is the place for you, i got to tell you that if you're perfect, you're going to have a really, really rough time here because you're going to be dealing with a bunch of sinners like me. And you're going to be really frustrated. Better go find another church, really. The Christian life is not characterized perfection. Rather, what marks us as believers is an all-out effort against sin, against evil, against chaos in our own lives and in the world in which we live. Christians are characterized not by perfection, but man, do we try at least, so help us God, to fight sin. Who here among us can't try? As believers, our lives should be marked by an all-out wrestling with how to love God and how to love others. How to, how to do this loving God thing with all our all, all, so help us God. And He will help us. 
Now, if you're looking for a place where you can join in with some pretty amazing fellow strugglers who want to love God with their all and are trying to figure that out, some days better than others, and to do that, so help them, God. If that's what you want, then pull up a chair. You'll feel right at home here. But don't get too comfortable in that chair because we're not going to let you sit long. (laughs) Because we need you and want you to join us all in the fight against sin, in the fight and all-out effort to love God with all our all, all our all, all our all. And as far as this all thing is concerned, Wherever you are in your walk or witness or life and love of God and others, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you're not sure you're a Christian or you know you're not and you're just kicking the tires, I invite you to take one more step. Just one. A baby step even. There isn't anyone here who can't try that. And who can't do that, so help them God. Each of us, all of us, can take one more baby step, so help us God. And he will. Take one more step. That temptation, that sin, that you know keeps eating at you and gets the better of you. Say no just once. Just once. Say no just once. And if you can even manage to say no just once, you move infinitely closer to loving God with all your all, one baby step at a time. You take that step, eyes closed, fear of failure. Okay, here goes. Then you open your eyes and you realize, hey, the world didn't end. And hey, God stepped right with me. That's what characterizes us, or should, as followers of Jesus. Each time you do it, each time we manage to take one step, even one, God is right there with us, singing, the Bible says, good job, way to go. How scary, wasn't it? I'm so proud of you. That was so much fun. Let's do it again. God is right there with us, stepping with us, supporting us, watching our back, acting on our behalf, teaching us, coaching us, holding us, loving us, giving us the strength and courage to stand in our new spot that we've just stepped into. It's right there with us. You know, it's amazing in Scripture how often God waits for His people to take a step before He acts. He waits for us to take a step, for you see, He takes His respect of our integrity. He takes this free will thing very, very seriously. Honors us with that, actually. But when we act, when we even lean, when we take a step in faith, He's right there with us. It's like waiting for it. Come on, come on, come on, step, step, step. Oh, I want to step so badly. All the angels cried, stop pushing. When we step 
He's right there with us, acting with us too. Just one step for and with God. Will you take just one more step in any area of your life? Just one. This Christmas, we've put together a specific opportunity to take one more step. It's one we'll take individually and together, if you're up for it. In your bulletins, you will find a red envelope. Everyone take it out and show it to me. Suddenly, I'm back in the high school class. This is how I make sure the kids are doing it. Right? Let me see your envelopes. Okay. Should be in your bulletins. If you don't have one or you need an extra one, you can grab one in the lobby on your way out. And here's the opportunity we have with, well, at least behind... <laughs> The staff has been called the Red Envelope Initiative. Doesn't that sound so weird? Here's the opportunity we have. We're to take your, each one of us, take your envelope, put some money into it, and then give it back to the church this morning or next week Sunday. And here's the really fun part. It's a faith part, too. We're not going to tell you what we're doing with your money God's money that he gave you to give until after you give it. (laughs) That bothers some of you really, I know. That's your baby step. Or at least a picture for it, maybe. And besides just the fun of not knowing, uh, you know, yet, I hope it might be a concrete lesson for us. At least this is true in my life. Is it true in yours that God asks us sometimes to step out in trust before We can analyze it and turn it over to our complete satisfaction. He often asks us to take a baby step in trust, and only after we take it does he affirm and more fully allow us to understand the why or other particulars. Now, here's the thing. Please listen up. Please shema. The money we each put in here, it's important, especially as you heard Brad Brady this time of year, that the money we put in here is beyond both our normal giving week to week and beyond any year-end gift to the church. We rely on that planned giving to be able to meet our budget and do here what God calls us to do. So please don't rob Peter to pay Paul, okay? I always wondered where that phrase came from. Someone look that up and tell me. Why would we rob Peter? Why was it Peter and Paul? I digress. Instead, the red envelope is for anything extra that God may have given you or may give you in the next week or two that you can set aside for something special. And you know what? Maybe it's $1. No problem. That would be great. Maybe you skip one Starbucks this week that you always take. Well, now that's 21 No, that's, <laughs> that's $3 at least, right? That'd be great. Maybe it's $5 or $20, $100, $500 or more. There's no cap on it. You figure out what you might have that's extra this year. You know what? If you can, think about it, pray about it. I think it would be amazing. Include your kids. Pick up an extra envelope for them. I hope you do that. Go to them. Maybe go to your kids, as I'll go to mine, and ask them, hey, will you give up one of your Christmas gifts this year? And instead, we'll put the money for that gift in the red envelope for you to give to the church. How fun. And again, don't do what I know some of you might be tempted to do because my mind goes down this path sometimes too. It's like, well, really, 
you know, really all I could do is a dollar or just a few bucks, and that's not enough. That's lame, so I'm not even going to participate. Oh, please don't do that. It's more than enough. Yeah, I, I'd love to have everyone do this. We can all do this, and you know, if you literally, if you literally don't have one extra dollar, then please see me, and I'll give you one. Or better yet, see Dave, see Dave Beatty, and he'll give you one. <laughs> but something, anything, no matter how little or how much, there's no cap on something beyond your regular giving, your year-end gift that we're planning. So we'll each put that extra money in the red envelope and hand it back. Cash or check is fine. And once we've collected it all, then we'll tell you what's going to happen next. And my friends, it's really, really cool. You won't be disappointed. I can't wait to tell you, but I'm not going to. And staff in the room today, don't you tell them. Hate for you to lose your position just before Christmas. I'm kidding. They won't tell you because they love a surprise, too. It'll spoil the surprise. Let it be a surprise Christmas gift we're giving you, okay? Call it taking one step, just one. If you have something extra that you can give today that you know of or want to write a check today, there will be blue plastic tubs. You can't miss them uh, in the lobby on your way out. Just put it in there, close it, and toss it in the tub. We'll collect it both today and next week. And we'll know, we'll know if you're participating in, the, uh, in this by how many envelopes we, uh, we get in. So if you want to participate, it, put something, anything, and throw it in the blue bucket. Are you ready to take a step in faith? It'll be fun. Okay? Trust me. Well, trust God. God loves us so much that he wants all our all. And as we get closer... And we get closer and closer to all our all when we take one step, even a small one, in one area of our lives. And when we do, he steps in, almighty God, with the power of the universe, in love with us, singing, well done. Oh, well done. Let's do it again. Let's take another one together, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I've just been taken aback again this week by how much it is that you love us. The passion you have for us, how much you cherish us, how much you deeply desire all of every part of us just oozes from your word, from the Bible. Help us, Father, to hear and to respond and to be moved by your passion for us. Expressed, summarized in Shema. When you plead with us, encourage us. Love me with all your all. All your all. All your all. All the time. Please. I love you. And we love you, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction? We've been using 
Shema is a form of benediction throughout this series. We'll continue to do it. Please hear God's good words. Hear, O West Bowles Community Church, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. So help you God, and he will. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Please drive safely. Please drive safely. I love you guys. See you next week.